Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. The bride of Christ. See, you are the bride. My wife is my bride. I love her. You are the bride. I love being here this morning better than any other place in the whole world. I'd rather be here. And when people begin to talk about the church in a negative way, those are fighting words. It would be like one of you talking about my wife in a bad way. I love the church. The church has literally saved my life and your life too. And Jacob and I have been talking about in the last six weeks what it means to be a church member. And we understand it's not like being a member of a country club where there's perks and everyone serves you. Instead, it's Jesus paying a price for you and me, and now we serve him. The perks, well, eternity. The perks, the Holy Spirit is living in you and me, directing us how to live. But right now, he has some things for us to do. So the title of my, this, this morning's message is, what does a fruitful church look like? A fruitful church. Let's pray. Father, it has been wonderful to be in your presence this morning. Just like I always taught my kids, you can't see God, but look at the wind. You can't see it, but look at it. And I tell my grandkids that. You can't see God, but you can see his handiwork everywhere. And I believe each one of us would say this morning, we have experienced your presence. It is wonderful to be in your presence. And I believe you are pleased with the offering we have made unto you this morning through our voices, our prayers, our giving, now reading the word of God and opening up our hearts and our minds to continue worshiping you this morning. Do a mighty work in the midst of us. Holy Spirit, have your way here this morning in the minds and hearts of everyone attending and looking in online as well as through your servant who's delivering the good news. Have your way this morning, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated at this time. I might need my son to come up here and help me for a minute while I'm talking to you to get my mess. I'm using a new iPad, so... Let's see if he can. He told me to use this instead of my regular computer. He's had to do my backdraft already. Now, Jake, would you just like to go ahead and preach the message this morning, Jake? <laughs> Thank you so much. I don't know what I'd do without you. So we're continuing the team theme, I Am the Church. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the church's purpose, and then the pathway to success. The church is purpose. I think about three things, if you're jotting down, taking some notes. I think about the purpose of meeting, 
the, me, the, the actual mission and then the message. The church has a purpose. But I wonder, first of all, if you would really know what a church looks like. You see, the word is ecclesia. Ecclesia does not mean a building with a cross on it. And so I wonder, uh, 200 years ago or 2,000 years ago, if the word ecclesia was mentioned, if you would understand what they're talking about. And would you identify it with a building and a cross? And so that you never forget that ecclesia can mean a lot of different things. I want to show you some different pictures on the screen this morning. That is an ecclesia. Oh, really? Yes, that's an ecclesia. A gathering, an assembly of basketball players. By the way, what do you think about FAU? Yeah. An assembly of players, and then we got Miami playing today. Maybe it would be an all-Florida Final Four. Who knows? Now, here's another assembly of bikers. And that's an ecclesia. That is a church. Technically, according to the Greek word, an assembly of people gathering. And they're gathering to talk about motorcycles. We have another picture up here. This is a group of Musicians, an assembly, an ecclesia, called out assembly of musicians. Then we have a, another one. I wanted him to show the other one. You didn't have the uh, bird watchers, did you? I, I wanted to show you the bird watchers. But, but, but there's no temple, there's no steeple here. And so I pray that God will leave in your minds a strong imprint that a group of people gathering together to talk about bird watching? No. To talk about the final four? No. But to talk about God and Jesus Christ, who they have in common. That is the church. And so it doesn't have to be in this building. It doesn't have to have a cross on it necessarily. It's a group of people gathering together to honor, worship, sing about, talk about God. Now, if we don't meet, then you don't have a church. And so the Bible encourages us in Hebrews chapter 10 that we as believers should gather together regularly. Where do we get that from? Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up. It not only tells us to meet, but it tells us the purpose for meeting. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So if we, if we don't meet together, we're not going. If, if the basketball team doesn't meet together, if FEU doesn't meet together for practice, then what's it going to look like? At game time, if believers don't gather together on a regular basis, you don't have a church. And they meet to stir up love in one another and doing the work God has given us to do that I'll talk about in just a moment. He said, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit 
of some. I don't go to church anymore because, and you can fill in the blank. A bunch of hypocrites down there. Or here's a person that goes to church on Sunday, and then look how they're behaving on Monday and Tuesday. I hear that all the time. So therefore, I'm excusing myself from the church. It reminds me of the people that Jesus said, follow me, and and they they said they kind of wanted to follow him, but then he told them what it would cost, and then they decided not to follow him. Or they made up excuses why they couldn't gather together. He said, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see that day approaching. What is that day? The second coming of God in the air. Now, we know, legalistically, we do not have to follow the Sabbath anymore. That, that Sunday, if you miss it, then you're sinning. That, that's not what the Bible's talking about. And a, a, a wonderful thing that we do here at Victory Life Church, and a lot of churches throughout our land, we have so many ways that you can get involved in, in, in gathering. So if you're a fireman, if you're a police officer, or a doctor, or for whatever reason you miss on Sundays, we have... Ways you can get involved during the weekend. Jacob and I have been talking about those things. Signing up for a team or becoming a part of a small group. That's a local gathering during the week. Sunday morning or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. You can become a part of a local gathering. The encouragement today is please don't forsake that assembly of believers regularly. That's God's command to you and me. It's proof that we love him. Also, he gave us a mission to embrace. So in order for us to be fruitful, we have to understand our purpose. We need to meet together on a regular basis, and we have a mission. The church has a mission. It's just not coming and reporting for duty on Sunday morning and checking the box. and Okay, God, I went to church on Sunday. But the church has a mission. Jesus left us. And the last words he said to us was in Matthew 28, before he ascended to the Father. So when someone says something to you just before they leave for good, you should pay attention to what they say. And in Matthew 28, he said, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is our mission. Thirdly, our message. We have a message to deliver. Just before Jesus arrived on the scene, he had someone prepare the way. Who was that? John the Baptist. He wanted people to prepare their hearts to meet the Savior. So he told them, repent of your sins. So they would be ready to receive holiness. If you don't understand what I mean by that, then hear this. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before the swine. 
In other words, don't walk into a drunken bar and start talking about Jesus. Because they're not going to appreciate those golden nuggets, those pearls of good news. So it's very important that we understand that we have a message of repentance. And Jesus said he came to bring good news. In Luke 4, quoting an Old Testament passage also, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 4, 43. The kingdom of God, he came to preach the good news. That is the message the church has, a message of good news. We're sinners, but the good news is Christ died for sinners. That's the good news. So to be a fruitful church, we have to understand our purpose, that we need to meet on a regular basis. We, have, we here at Victory Life Church have come up with so many ways for you to get plugged in to the work of God here. But now we must understand our path for success. The church must embrace its path for kingdom success. And it starts first and foremost with families. Families must raise godly kids. I've had the privilege of officiating many, many, many weddings. And one of the first things I remind the man and the woman, the bride and the groom is this. And in my premarital counseling sessions, I remind him of this. What if God designed marriage first and foremost to make you holy rather than happy? That's a startling statement to a lot of people because they're expecting that spouse to deliver happiness. But holiness means set apart. I want to set you apart from the rest of the world. He said, come out and separate yourself from the world. Israel was designed to separate themselves from the world so they could be a beacon of light to the rest of the world. So marriage is a picture of the father and the son. The scripture teaches us that God has a purpose for marriage in Malachi 2.15. When God said, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? A godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The second startling statement that I often share in my premarital counseling sessions is, your body was not made for sex. It was made for the Lord. That's a startling statement for many. God wants to make you holy and your body belongs to him, to serve him. There's a reason, and let me explain that reason. Number two, families must raise godly kids. It's the parents' privilege and responsibility to teach their children about God, not the church. 
What a privilege it was for my wife and I to constantly tell our kids about Jesus everywhere we went, every day of our lives, and everything we did. Because I knew that any moment Jesus Christ could come back in the clouds. I knew that any moment something tragic could happen to one of my children. And have I prepared them to face eternity? And so many dads are following the ways of the world. And and I've always seen this picture of a man that didn't know Jesus as he's heading toward hell. Only to turn around and look and to see his precious daughter and his precious son following in his footsteps. And I said, God, that's not going to be me. That will not be me. I want to tell my children about the greatest person has ever lived on the face of this earth. And his name is Jesus. And God will honor you with that commitment when you decide to do that. It's our responsibility, our privilege. It's, it's not, I better do this or else. I want them to know about God. The scripture reminds us to do this. In Deuteronomy 4, he says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. So he's given us commandments. He's given us laws that will govern our lives. And then he goes on in Deuteronomy 9, says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely So that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen. Remember, delivering them from Egypt. Or let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. Here's the punchline now. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Already I have the privilege of teaching my grandchildren. And everywhere we go, everything we do, every day of our lives about God. My job's not finished as a parent. I'm now a grandparent, and I want to continue. Deuteronomy 11, just to kind of nail this truth home in order to be on the pathway to success as a church. It starts in the family. We need to communicate to our children about God. He said, teach them to your children, Deuteronomy 11. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. You see, I used to referee. This is called a 30-second timeout, and this is a full timeout. You don't say, timeout, let's go to church on Sunday, and now I'll talk about God. Everything you do, everywhere you go, It's a chance to tell your children about God. All the time, I would drive my kids to their sporting events, to their practices, to their games. How much time do you spend with your kids going to practice, to their games? Then think about how much time do I really spend telling them about God. You see, most of your kids, as you know, the stats about kids going on to college to play sports, and they'll never go on to play that sport again, probably, or make money in it. 
And we're spending all the dollars, time, and our energy on our kids about these sporting events that I've been a part of all my life. And it's a waste. Unless, unless you take advantage and begin to instill in them the truths of God along the way. And I remember telling them, you're getting ready to go pitch. Now, if you pitch a ball, what are you, what's your face going to say? If the coach takes you out of the game, no, no, no. That's not how Christians behave. You want them to see Jesus in your face, in your countenance, right? Then my wife would turn around, well, they need to see Jesus in you in the stands. I've embarrassed my wife and my family when I have gotten kicked out of a Christian school soccer game. <laughs> and I would have to tell my kids over, pray for daddy. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling this gospel truth. I mean, all, one day I'm sitting at a soccer game and all I said was, here comes, but don't say anything, guys, don't say anything. He might get on to you. You're out of here. Right in front of all my friends and family and school members, and I'm a pastor. <laughs> every event, everywhere we went, was a time, a time out to share something about God. See, when you practice that lifestyle of Christianity, it's a lot easier to do. It's not that hard to do. It becomes such a, it's, it's like the air that you breathe. You begin to teach your children about God. You see, Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs means as a rule. As a rule, this is what will happen. I know there's some fine moms and dads that raised their kids the right way, and and one or two didn't turn out all right, or at least at this moment, it doesn't seem like they're on the right path. Don't give up, and it may not be your fault at all. Don't let the enemy weigh you down with how a particular child may have turned out. But you can put a lot of confidence in that truth that God has given you and me. And then in Proverbs 23, it says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them, they'll throw you in jail. Oh, no, I'm saying, oh, if you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. My heart goes off to the families here that, that take care of foster kids. What a job they have. We need to pray for the parents that take care of foster care kids because they're not allowed to use any of these methods that you and me grew up with. They have their work cut out for them. We're thankful for the foster care system. We're thankful for four kids, but they have their job cut out for them because they cannot discipline them like the scripture teaches. In Ephesians 6, 4, again, just nailing home the point, this is where the church begins in the home of parents who are godly, which is a message to every young person out here. Do you desire a godly man or a godly wife? 
I remember when I decided I was going to get married, that was a prerequisite. She had to love Jesus with all her heart. I was not going to marry an ungodly woman. That has to be the desire in your heart, and God will park that person right in front of you. In fact, God will even cause your person to burp out, God told me to marry you whether I like it or not. That's what my wife told me. <laughs> she literally said, God told me to marry you. And she said, we're getting married in six months, so we're breaking up. That was her proposal. I didn't even get to propose to her. Good thing God told her to marry me because she was in for a big trip. <laughs> God will literally park that person in front of you. He desires a godly marriage, a godly offspring, and then he gives us some instructions about that offspring. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Do we get the point? If we don't have godly homes, then we will not have a godly church gathering. So in order to be on that pathway to success, parents, we need to do a better job. And if we feel, you know, we get saved at all different ages. I don't understand why some people get saved at 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 80, 90. I don't understand that. So it's never too late to go back and say, you know, I didn't do a good job but I'm going to do a good job from now on. Something else he asked us to do, and that's to have a faithful lifestyle of obedience. He said, if you love me, right? What? Obey me. If you love me, obey me. That, that's the proof in the pudding. Now, I go to church, or I went to Sunday school, or I belong to a small group. Obey me. That is the evidence. There's actually two pieces of evidence that we belong to God. Does anybody know the first one? The love that we have for one another. No matter what we look like, act like, or smell like. That's proof that we love God. And secondly, that we obey him. Now, there's three things I think about. And that is being an ambassador, Reconcilers and salt and light. They basically all mean the same thing, but I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that God may use to nail this home. This is what he asks us to do with our lives. That's why I've never been a big fan of trying to turn our church into a lost soul winning place, although you can invite someone to come to church in Easter because it's made up of believers. And as we go out there, we're ambassadors, we're reconcilers, and we're salt and light. Let me read the passage about ambassadors. This is everyone's assignment. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Okay, what is it? What's happening? As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Everyone we meet, be reconciled to God. That's a fancy word that means I want your relationship to be restored with God. That's what reconciled means. Restoring relationships with God. And you tell them this. God made him, who's him? Jesus, who had no sin... To be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Ambassadors. All of us have been given the assignment of being ambassadors. Let me go back to that word reconcilers. Again, just so that you understand, this is the word the Scripture uses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has come and the old is gone. I remember very clearly, my mind was on earthly things only. I never thought about things above. You and me received Christ as our Savior. All of a sudden, we began to set our things on heaven, on the Savior, on the kingdom, on his word. A new you is in you. And you know that, and I know that. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. How did he do that? How did he write that relationship since we're rebellious against him, since we're sinners against him? Through Christ dying on the cross and gave who? Us, the ministry of reconciliation. And then one more key word that I want to use about having a faithful lifestyle of obedience is to be salt and light. All of us are familiar with this passage, you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me wrap up this point with an article I found in the Good News. By the way, the Good News is the largest Christian newspaper in the United States of America. It's right here locally in Fort Lauderdale. And by the way, if you'd like to get a copy of it, there's about 20 of them in the back. They are for free. There's very, very good articles in this particular newspaper and a lot of good companies that you would want to do business with. Whenever I want to do business with a company, I first go to find out if they're a Christian. I always want to do business with a Christian first and foremost. They are the best people in the world, bar none, to do business with. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if that person tells you they're a Christian and they cheat you, then they're probably either a backslidden person or they don't know him. But there's an article in here called The Known an unknown sower that ties into what I've just been talking about, being an ambassador, being a reconciler, and being salt and light for Jesus as we leave this place this morning. Lisa May is the executive director of Live the Life of South Florida. In fact, someone that's going to be speaking to us in a month is from that organization called Scott, which is one of the pastors where Jacob used to serve with. He speaks on marital relations. Actually, here's what they do. The mission of Live the Life of South Florida is to strengthen marriages and families through health relationship education 
beginning in middle school and continuing through senior adults. In this article, she writes, and quotes, Craig Denson formed Thirst 15. And he wrote, God's grace is meant to be our catalyst to living passionate lives that bear fruit of eternal value. You aren't to go through the motions. You weren't created to live a normal life whose impact only lasts in this life. Think about our great musicians, great athletes, great builders that only make an impact in this life. We were sitting around talking this weekend about Elvis Presley or Jackson, Michael Jackson, and did they leave a lasting impact in this life? Yes. But did they leave an eternal impact? That's what the author is trying to communicate to you and me this morning. You were made for a life of deep and lasting impact. You were made to share God's word. Now, she has an article called The Known and Unknown Sower that I believe God can use to encourage every one of you because some of you are probably already doing this. The unknown sower, which probably is most of us, Here's what she wrote. You remember Billy Graham, right? He preached the gospel to more than 2.2 billion people. Again, he's the known sower. You're getting it now? He's the known sower. Who was the unknown sower in Billy Graham's life? Do you know? A Sunday school teacher, a volunteer named Edward Kimball, Edward Kimball intentionally ensured the boys in his Sunday school class that he wanted them to understand the offer of salvation through Jesus. He was particularly concerned about one young man and went to the shoe store where he worked on a Saturday afternoon. He shared the message of Jesus in the stockroom, and that young man accepted Christ. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. For many of you who may not know Dwight L. Moody, the millennial Zen generation, they've named two at least universities after him, which one my son-in-law attended, up in Chicago and one's out in Washington, Moody Seminary or Moody College. But the story doesn't end there. That's where it begins. Moody converted Wilbur Chapman. Chapman converted Billy Sunday, followed by Mordecai Ham, who was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina, where, you guessed it, Billy Graham accepted Christ, the evangelist who preached to more people than any other person, including the Apostle Paul. Billy Graham's spiritual family tree is traced to the unknown sower, Edward Kimball, an unknown Sunday school teacher. Yesterday at the Men of Armor gathering, I had the privilege of sharing. I know Andrew had the privilege. Many of you had the privilege of sharing 
an unknown sower, the message of Jesus Christ. We don't know what's going to happen to those people that we gave a track to, a business card to, or spoke about the Lord to. We're the unknown sowers. Surely, every one of you can be faithful to God and do that. Could you do that? Be an unknown sower? Will you say, God, I will accept my assignment, my mission, my message is to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. The unknown sower is probably you. We'll have no idea until we get into the kingdom of God. The people that are in heaven because of you, the unknown sower. Also, something that we need to do, that is to furnish training to all believers. Jacob talked about this last week in the class. He started, which is called the church growth class or the, um, I guess, growth track, the growth track. That he wants every new believer or someone attending Victory Life Church for the first time, we want you to go to this growth track class so that we can find out where you are and can help you on your journey in Jesus Christ. But we need to teach people about their assignments. Acts 1, 8 tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we need to teach people what I'm telling you today to testify. We just sang about it earlier this morning. Testify. Go out there and testify what Jesus has done for you. I don't care whether you've been converted a month, Five years, 20 years, or 100 years, you can testify what God has done in your life. Yesterday, we got to hear four men share what Jesus has done in their life and what a delight it was. You can do that. That's the unknown sower sowing seeds. God wants us to remind you, share with others what Jesus has done in your life. Don't believe a lie of the world that tells you to keep your religion in this building. You're to go out there and be salt and light in the world. And if persecution comes, then you're to count it all joy. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you're welcome to everywhere you go, then you may not be living for him. I'm going over things rapidly because of time, but I want to give you your testimony is what you can share to be salt and light. We're going to start an evangelistic team. Jacob may not know this, but we're going to start an evangelistic team. <laughs> and, and we also, we already have some evangelists in here. I don't know Sean, where he's at. He's usually in the front row. But anyways, he's an evangelist. There's some other evangelists in there. I'm an evangelist. But we, we need to begin teaching classes like on EE. As you know, one of my sons is married to the captain of EE and his daughter, we're probably going to have him come in and do a training session for all of us. When I was Southern Baptist and went to school, they taught us in CWT, which is very similar to EE. But there's a simple one that I want to go over in closing, basically, is the Romans Road, and I want to leave this with you. The Romans Road, here's what you tell them. Every one of you can do this. You can jot it down in your notes. It's, it's the first way I learn to share my testimony with others and invite them to have a relationship with Jesus. Our church needs to be equipping people, 
In order to have success in a church, our church needs to become a soul-winning church. My heart hurts. Honestly, it hurts. Because I desperately want to see you bringing lost people to Jesus Christ. Then I know you're being obedient. This is not a country club. We just got done explaining for five weeks this is not a country club where you pay your dues and we, you find out what we can do for you. It's what can you do for Jesus. It's just the reverse. Like the famous president said, don't ask what your country can do for you. Wow, people know that. Even the Zen generation knows that. What can I do for you, Jesus? The Romans wrote, says, the human problem, here's the human problem, and here's the scripture passage. You underline it in the Romans. Romans 3.10. This is the first way I learned how to witness. There's no one righteous, not even one. I remember telling a lady who sat in a rocking chair, you're a sinner. No, I'm not. You're a sinner. No, I'm not. No, you're a sinner. I better quit telling you're a sinner because you keep rocking. You're going to rock that chair backwards and break your neck. She, she wouldn't come to the grips with that she was a sinner. The Bible says every pope, every pastor, every president, every person is a sinner separated from a holy God and will spend eternity in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. We need to let that grip us with our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our neighbors and our schoolmates and our co-workers. Never let it leave your mind. That is our job. We are salt and light rescuing people from eternal damnation. Oh, did I get too loud? I saw someone go like this, so I didn't know. <laughs> Secondly, that was passion. That wasn't pointing the finger. It says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're throwing at the bullseye and trying to hit the bullseye, God said, you'll never be able to do it. That's the bad news. But the good news is coming. One more thing about some bad news. The wages of sin is... Now, people don't like to hear that, but everybody's going to die. Ah, we finally get to turn the corner. Hang in there, you tell that person. Wait, there's some good news coming. I hope so. And they're perspiring. Humanity's hope in Christ is this. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still in jail, still rebellious, still thinking about ourselves, narcissistic sinners, Christ left heaven and came to earth and died on our behalf. While we were sinners, catch the punchline, we weren't even thinking about him, meditating on him, going to church, reading our Bibles. We were indulging in all the sinful ways of the world. And he said, I'm going to come. Even though they don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to die and take God's wrath myself on their behalf. That's what that means. And then he goes on to say some more good news. Here's the sinner's response. If you will declare with your mouth, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the King of kings. You are the creator of heaven and earth. He said, if, if you believe that in your heart, 
and that he was nailed to a tree on your behalf. God poured out the wrath that you and me deserve. He poured it out on his son. He said, if you believe that, that God raised him from the dead after he died on that cruel cross, you will be saved. And you say that word a lot, and you might have to explain it. Saved from what? Saved from hell and saved from judgment. The Bible says, for it is with the mouth your heart and with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. And so using the EE approach, if you die tonight, what would happen to you? Looking in online this morning? That's the question I ask everybody. I asked the question yesterday. The guy said, well, I'm going to be reincarnated. He was, he was Indian. He was a Hindu. And then the second question, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to heaven. And, and then I follow up with this question. If you stood before God and you should say, why should I let you in my kingdom? What would your response be? And I'm telling you, I have a long list like this I could unroll with with the answers I've been given about how they're going to get into heaven. Is this long? I've always told you what the number one answer is, right? I feel good. I feel good. That's why I'm going to heaven. I'm good. That's the number one answer on Family Feud. Is if, how, why do you think God should let you in and, and they give you about... It's five, six answers, right? The number one answer is, I'm good. I just got done telling you what. You're not good. Not, not because I declare that. God declares that we're all sinners. So you can't get to heaven being good. You can't get to heaven going to church. You can't get to heaven by giving your money to the poor. When they give you the answer, you'll know how to talk to them if they say, I'm good or I've never done anything wrong. I've never done what those criminals in jail have done. Some of you would be in jail, though, if you were caught. Right? Some of you acting innocent like you had never done anything wrong. And you just remind them that Jesus took their punishment. I'm glad he took my punishment. And if you believe in him, and he died and rose again, you will be saved from eternal damnation. That's the assignment God gave to the church. And so when a church just comes into the door and exists and just enjoys singing songs, I, you know, there's revival happening in middle America, supposedly, right? And one preacher made a remark about it, and I, I, I understand what he was saying. He was saying, take away the music and let's see if there's really a revival. That's what he said. He was a great, a, a great preacher. So let's take away the music and let's see if there's really revival taking place in middle America. Because revival means people are repenting of their sins, getting right with their spouses, confessing their sins, grieving over their sinfulness, right? That's revival. People accepting Christ. 
people surrendering to the ministry, those are all indications that revival is taking place. Which was my last point, and I won't go, I have some more notes, but because of your, your what is it? Your seat can only endure what your head can handle, or head can only handle what you see. You know what I'm trying to say. You must be filled with the Spirit of the living God. In order for all this to take place, the Bible teaches us walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In order for your testimony to have an impact in the lives of others, you must be walking in the Spirit where the Spirit has control of your life. That way what comes out of your mouth the Word of God is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces into their minds and hearts, joints and marrow, and spirit and soul. It knows how to divide. And that Word will speak truth into that person's life. His Word will change their lives. Do we want to be a soul-winning church? Do we want to be a fruitful church? We must accept our purpose. And we must get on the pathway to success in order to be fruitful. And that is it's all about sharing the good news, a simple task that God has given us. Go be ambassadors, reconcilers, salt and light with the right message and communicating the plan of salvation. Would you stand at this time? Father, your word has gone forth. Remind people eternity, eternity, never ends help us to be willing to love our neighbors enough our co-workers enough our spouses enough our children enough to communicate what you did 2,000 years ago for us on the cross if there's someone looking in line this morning you can go to the tag section and say I, I want to receive Christ as my Savior we'll be sure to get some information to you if you're here today in the power of the Holy Spirit, not some pastor's voice, has compelled you to give your life to Jesus, the next step of obedience is to come forth in believer's baptism. I want to identify myself with you, Jesus. And you come out of the crowd and you say, I want to get baptized. We'll be standing up here to receive you this morning. Or if you need prayer, we want you to come to the front altar and say, I, I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to be his ambassador. Would you be obedient to what God's asking you to do this morning? Would you come? Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation.